everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're coming rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. For the first time in a while, we have quite the packed weekly recap alongside our long-awaited men's and women's basketball preview. So let's just dive straight into it with probably the biggest news, and that is coming out of K-State women's volleyball after their three 3-0 sweep of the Oklahoma Sooners, which took place earlier this or either earlier last week. They respond with a 3-0 sweep of number eight in the country, BYU. And it was three straight sets that went 25-18, 25-16, and 25-19. BYU, number eight in the country, failed to break 20 in any single set up against K-State. Pretty good. Yeah, I think I agree. Actually, I think that I think that's good. That sounds good. <laughs> That'd be because it is. <laughs> but I mean, I think the score it isn't always that a sweep speaks for itself, but I think it really does here to uh, just exemplify the domination that K State uh, had in this game. It's not often that you beat a top ten squad um, at K State for volleyball. It's borderline unprecedented to do it in this fashion uh just complete control pretty much start to finish and uh, this one uh k-state hit nearly 400 for the entire match uh finishing at 382 uh they end up with 42 kills to byu's 31 uh only eight attack errors which is great numbers uh and then Aaliyah carter had 18 kills on 41 attempts with 10 digs, so she gets a double-double. Uh, then Anaya Clinton, 13 kills on 19 attempts, uh, hitting 684 <laughs> on her own, which is absolutely nuts. Yeah, <laughs> when Anaya Clinton's on, she arguably may be a better hitter than Aaliyah Carter. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. If she puts everything together, then I think her ceiling's honestly probably higher than Aaliyah's. Uh, at least as an attacker. Although Aliyah's been doing so much more in terms of versatile play this year, uh, pl- playing really effectively on the back line. But Mansfield said it after the match, and uh, he said this is the team they've been waiting for. I think that might be kind of coach speak, but <laughs> there's also probably some truth to it because I don't think you sweep an, a top 10 team on accident. <laughs> and yeah, so, I- <laughs> some of that has to come from being a really quality team, and some of it has to come from. Uh, really good coaching and we saw a lot of uh, impressive things from K-State one of the more notable things was uh, Simone Sims who I, I thought was just going to redshirt uh, gets a start out of absolutely nowhere tonight and, uh, and was completely held her own she had one assist she had four digs uh, she wasn't asked to do a ton but it was her first ever match and she was playing against the uh, eighth ranked uh, BYU Cougars for her first match, which is not unenviable. Yeah, not an enviable task, I would say. But she played in all three sets and was labeled as a starter, and she deserves a lot of credit for that. And there really wasn't anybody on the floor that I think we can look at and say they had a bad game. I there was a lot of quality play all around. Izzy Shoshesky was again really, really, really impressive. Had twenty seven sets. Uh, and 11 digs and was in on a um, few blocks as well Uh, she was really quite impressive Uh, and I don't even know what else to say honestly just this was a surprising result in the best way possible 
And if Casey can, like, like we said, to make the NCAA tournament, we'd have to be winning games like this. I didn't think we'd win by this much. <laughs> but, I didn't think we'd sweep them. But when it, winning a match like this puts K-State back into at least the conversation of maybe making it to the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's not a, a done deal or anything right now. But if they could uh, beat BYU Friday, the day that this releases as well, and get a game against KU as well, then all the thing, all this, all of a sudden things are starting to look a lot brighter uh, for K State and their postseason hopes. Yeah. Which speaking of, the next match is up against BYU the day this releases, and then a Friday Saturday slate the next week up against KU number fourteen in the country, KU in Lawrence. So big week, big big week for volleyball, and it's off to a really good start. Yeah. The next four matches are huge for K-State. Number 8, BYU again on Friday. And then, yeah, those two matches, like you said, against number 14, KU. And then you, ho- and then you host Texas for a one-off uh, on November 8th on a Wednesday. That is a massive opportunity for K-State. Uh, Texas is always going to be one of the best teams in the country. But and if you can take out BYU again, if you can get KU once, and if you can at least be competitive with Texas... There, there's really an opportunity to play yourself into the postseason right in front of K-State. Yeah, and I think that's the, the biggest takeaway from that. But that is volleyball. We're going to move straight into K-State football recruiting with its flipness, ladies and gentlemen, getting two flips. One, we'll start with the one formerly of Nebraska, and that is Kalen Barta, a Topeka cat. And, you know, he's a safety, 6'2", 180, and I don't understand how he's just a low three star, and I, I'm not saying this to be a homer. I think he I think he was and is criminally underrated, and a lot of that has to do with his speed because he's probably should be labeled an athlete, but he's listed as a safety, and he's a ridiculously fast safety as well. Yeah, he has track speed. He's really, really, really quick. Um, and a lot of his highlights are him playing receiver and doing it really well. Uh, some of that's just because uh, uh, Ace has informed me it's hard to get highlights as a safety. <laughs> and uh, um, But he is a guy that camped at K-State, and seemingly like they've been doing with a lot of these camp guys is they've waited to see some senior tape and see how they play in live action and then sent an offer, and that's what they did with uh, Callan Barda. And Nebraska went and sniped him early, but it did not take much to flip him. No matter what Nebraska fans tell you about uh, uh, them parting ways mutually or him like, being pushed out of the class, that's not true. Uh, they did not want to lose Kalimbarda, and uh, that's because he's just a really talented player. Uh, he could be the next in a line of uh, under-recruited, uh, underrated Topeka Cats to make an impact uh, young in their young careers like Desmond Purnell. Uh, so I, I really like his film. I think he's a, a fantastic athlete and he's playing with a, a really good quarterback right now as well we're not in the market for a quarterback but his quarterback has like 29 touchdowns to one pick on the year uh, he was actually a k-state uh, baseball uh commit but he has since uh decided to um, do football instead which i think he's now visiting k-state for football here pretty soon so maybe we end up taking him anyways but that seems unlikely yeah but it could yeah. be fun it could be fun <laughs> yeah, I, 
I like Colin Barta just because you just I pronounced his name three different times now. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything, but I, I, I yeah, I like Barta. He's no relation, by the way, to previous K State Bartas. Yeah, we originally thought that he was, but he is apparently not. Yeah, which would have been cool if he was, but maybe we can just make it up and say that he is. <laughs> yeah, this is the number nine player in the state of Kansas. So not only that, you get another Kansas commit and one that I think has a pretty high ceiling at safety uh but then you get another flip this one from the university of texas san antonio the roadrunners and that would be boone morris who on three has listed as an edge he is not an edge he's definitively not an edge he's an off-ball linebacker but he flipped his commitment to k-state he has the according to on three has the exact same grade as barda which I, mm, I think Bart is a little better, but Morris is still really good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's same story as Bart, a, a camp guy that we really liked, uh, but just wanted to see senior film, and we saw it, and we liked him, and brought him in on that big visit weekend we had against TCU, and uh, then we got an um, easy flip, uh, really. Allegedly, there were some other Power 5 schools kind of looking around at him, but... Um, K-State locks him down quickly. Uh, Yeah, I really like him at Mike Backer. He is, his run instincts are fantastic. He's a really sure tackler, and he's just a very fluid mover and diagnoses a play very easily. Uh, He he knows exactly what's in front of him, and uh, yeah, definitely not an edge rusher, uh, but he's super, super talented. I like him a lot. I think he'll hopefully see some increases in his grades. Uh, maybe get some more uh, um, scouts to take a look at him now that he's a Power 5 commit. Uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I really like Boone Morris. Yeah, I do as well. And uh, credit where credit's due, Derek Young actually came up with a pretty good comp for him. And that would be Austin Romaine. I'm not going to get burnt on that twice. I refuse to get burnt on that twice. Yeah, if that's the comp that we're going to roll with, then yeah. Um, he's definitely not going to be third to last in, in our recruiting grades. Problem is, he still might because this recruiting class is stacked. Yeah, that's true. It, there's so few of them, but they're all so good. <laughs> but yeah, there are... Eh, I would say that the K-State recruiting class, at least for football, is winding down. There are a few important decisions that are still being waited upon, but I'd say the majority of the class is filled out, and there is, top to bottom, this is a really good class. There's no question marks in the class, I would say. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with that too, where in the past, there's kind of always been guys that are question marks, but uh, last year's class and this year's class, we haven't really seen that. There haven't been any guys where you kind of look at them and like... Uh, think they don't belong at all and uh yeah it's it's a testament to how our recruitment is improving uh, as a program and how now that we're really establishing ourselves as being a a future power for the big 12 conference uh that's gonna only see an uptick in recruiting so yeah it's a, a really solid top to bottom class right now but still going to be a few more guys, but probably not a ton. Yeah. We had a pretty big class last year. We had, like, I think almost 25 guys. I think we had 26. Yeah, so 
probably don't, just don't need as many guys this year. Yep. So that is the Volley Cats and the football recruiting segment. And before we get in to an episode, we were the part of the episode we've been looking forward to for a very, very long time. Here's a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back, everybody, to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats. You've officially entered one of the most anticipated parts of the year for us, at least, and that is the men and women's catskiball preview. We're going to start with men's catskiball. Um, just top to bottom, we'll, we'll, we'll say this outright, it's going to be another exciting season. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's... It's, I'm really excited to see who emerges this year, and there's a lot of transfers and new names that I'm really looking forward to do, uh, seeing uh, hit the floor. Uh, and there's also some guys I think are ready to take the next step. So I'm, I'm really excited to go down the roster. Yeah. So we'll, we're not going to go absolutely down the roster, but familiar names include David Gasson, Dorian Finister's back, Cam Carter and Naquan Tomlin kind of make up the the big returners from the previous year. And David Gasson had a really good showing at FIBA, which is why he wasn't at the Israel trip. Uh, Dorian Finister got his red shirt somehow. <laughs> yeah, we have no idea how he managed that because that's not how basketball red shirting works most of the time. <laughs> and he just somehow now has red shirt next to his name. I'm not going to ask questions. Uh, I'm just going to accept it. <laughs> it benefits us, so yeah, I don't care. It does. <laughs> but Cam Carter's back. Obviously, he was one of the better defenders last year. It's probably developed his game a little bit more. And then, of course, the athletic freak known as Naquan Tomlin is back, regardless of the meltdowns. <laughs> yeah, he, he's back. I think he's going to gear up for a really big season. We really need him to have a big season. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to uh, see what we get from him this year. Yeah. So that's already, you know, pretty decent for what's coming back. But where this team really shines, kind of like last year, though last year was for a completely different reason, uh, is the transfers. And I think the best place to start with the transfers is Tyler Perry. Because the one thing you need to know about Tyler Perry is he was averaging 20 points a game in literally the slowest offense in the country last year. Yeah, and he was shooting... Something like 41 and some change. Yeah, from three. And we, we've we seen him, uh, at least briefly, be able to, at any point in time, just go out and make probably three or four shots in a row and force a timeout from a, another team. And that's just going to be his role this year. He's going to be an elite shooter. He's going to be a better shooter this year than anybody was last year, especially given the volume. Mm-hmm. I... He averaged somewhere in the 17 to 18 range last year at uh, North Texas. I expect him to be averaging at least that, but pushing for 20 or more uh, because of just the pace increase. And I am, I'm really hopeful uh, for what he can do uh, from beyond the arc because that's going to be a specialty. And he's also going to be running the offense too. Uh, but he's not going to be the guy uh, – he's not going to be like Marquise in terms of like just – how effective he is at distributing because there's few that are uh, in college basketball. But Tyler Perry is still going to be able to fill that void at least a bit. Uh, 
I'm really looking forward to seeing just how well he shoots, though. Yeah. And I think the other really big transfer would be Arthur Kaluma, the transfer from Creighton. And there is a distinct reason why you and I have sort of taken to calling him King Arthur. Because, or at least I've taken to calling him King Arthur. I'm yeah. not going to put words in your I mouth. I was going to say, I, don't, I haven't done that. <laughs> Yet. Yet. Maybe I will. <laughs> but he's another really big addition to this squad. Um I think just straight out the box from what he's shown already, he's already just like a diet Keontae Johnson. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely some parts of their games that are similar. They're similar sizes. Uh, although Kaluma, I think, um, does a few things differently. I'm excited to see his defense. Uh, he, I think he's going to be an elite defender. I think he'll be a better defender than Keontae was uh, because there were times where Keontae wasn't the most effective guy on the defensive end. Uh, that was one of his few shortcomings. But Kaluma, I think, is going to be more balanced uh, offensively and defensively. I He does have some similar traits to him. He's not as good a three-point shooter, but he's still really good at getting to the rack. He's super, super athletic, and I think he's going to be a huge asset on offense as well. Uh, but, yeah, they're similar sizes, but they do things a little differently, And uh, but still have some similarities in their games too. Uh, I, I really like Kaluma. He uh, kind of flew under the radar at first, it felt like, and was a starter at Creighton last year, but was like the probably fourth or fifth scoring option. And he has shown the potential to really develop as a scorer and uh, reach a different level. So I'm hoping that we see a lot from Arthur Kaluma this year, because we're going to be relying on him to probably be our number two scorer. Yeah. Then you have the, the roster added a lot of people, but I think something that you and I have heard is Quez Glover. Is, he's also going to be another contributor who may not be, he may not consistently crack the starting five, but as the first guy off the bench, you, you could do, you couldn't do much better. <laughs> yeah, Quez Glover, um, everybody seems to be keep, to keep saying that he's really fast. Uh, he started his career at Florida, went to Samford, and then committed to BYU, and then flipped his commitment to K-State. I'm hoping, if nothing else, that he'll be similar to Desi Sills, and that he's going to be a spark plug off the bench, and is just going to be able to get to the rim at will, for the most part. That kind of seems to be a lot of his game, given his speed. Desi was really fast last year as well, so I think they're going to be similar guys. I think... Uh, Jerome Tang's probably really happy he went out and got a similar player. Uh, he's not an awful three-point shooter, but that's just not his game. He doesn't take a high volume of shots there. He wants to get to the rim, and that's where he's going to do most of his damage. Only thing I don't like about him is that he's wearing number zero, and I think that should be retired for Jacob Pullen. But he's actually, um, I saw, I think it was Scott Wildcat on Twitter say that he's only the second player to ever wear number zero at K-State. Uh, Jacob Pullen is the only other one up until now. He has, a, he has some shoes to fill, doesn't he? <laughs> he really does, and he... I, I, I hate to count him out early, but I, he's just not going to do it. So. You don't know that. No, you know that. But, and just to sort of cap off the roster preview here, we have a pretty exciting freshman class here as well, uh, which is Day-Day Ames, R.J. Jones, and then Michaela Rich. I don't know if all three of them contribute this first year in fact i would say it's almost certain that all three of them that not all three of them do if i had to guess one that does 
just based off of what we saw in the Israel scrimmages, I think R.J. Jones is a good pick. I was actually going to go Dede Ames. Well, um, you see, you and I, <laughs> that kind of tells you about the strength of this freshman class. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that there's any reason to not say R.J. Jones, because I, I think that both of them are going to have a big impact, but I just more gravitated towards Dede, because uh, um, based off of what we've heard, he is already playing at a pretty high level. He's going to be a true point guard, a true one. Uh, somebody that might allow Tyler Perry to play a little bit of off-ball in certain situations. You probably don't want to have both of them on the floor very long at the same time just because of uh, their size, because Tyler Perry is only 5'11", Day-Day is only six foot, and that's generous. Uh, but it would at least um, let us uh, run some sets for Tyler Perry uh, with Day-Day distributing. But, no, yeah, I still really like RJ as well. He was a fantastic shooter. Uh, over uh, in the overseas trip, but what do you have to say about RJ? No, that's all. Yeah, he was a fantastic shooter, and he just he popped to me. Dede looked really good, but he didn't have the same pop to me that RJ did because there was really only one of the true freshmen that in the Israel trip I sort of looked at and like make two shots. I'm like, damn, who's this guy? <laughs> Uh, I think I actually had to text you, <laughs> like, who he was, because he didn't have numbers up yet. He was like, oh, that's R.J. Jones. Like, that's that's a true freshman. <laughs> but yeah, I, this is a really talented freshman class that could contribute early, and I don't, I don't think that's an absurd proposition. <laughs> no, I don't think it is either. And then Michaela Bridge, uh, even if we see less of him, uh, again, on the overseas trip, he was uh, doing some great things. Uh, I mean, he is a hyper athlete at 6'7", 240. I think the staff has called him like a mini Zion at times, which his play style is pretty similar, except he uh, can step out and shoot a little bit, and uh, he um, is extremely explosive. I'm not sure how much of him we'll see this year, but I'd love to see a bit of him because he's the type of player that can completely swing uh, the momentum of a game with like a highlight dunk. Uh, that's just the type of guy that he is. And I think he'll be a problem in the future as well. But he, um, uh, probably the sore thumb of the class, not in terms of talent, but just in terms of position and how he fits in this year. Uh, with RJ and Dede both being guards, McCaleb's a Ford, and we have a, a lot of uh, really quality guys uh, that are going to be uh, playing um, the Fords. Uh, I mean, Naquan Tomlin and Jarrell Colbert and Arthur Kaluma. And, uh, well, McNair will probably be getting some time as well. Uh, there's uh, some quality guys that are there, and Rich will probably play some as well still, uh, but it's going to be tough to crack the lineup. Yeah. So that's the roster preview. Now we can start looking a little bit at the schedule. We're not going to go through game by game. <laughs> that There's not enough hours in the day, but... The first game outside of the exhibition is, of course, the much-awaited matchup up against USC to open our season down in Las Vegas, Nevada, in T-Mobile Arena. Uh, I will be choosing to call that T-Mobile Arena and the Sprint Center the Sprint Center. (laughs) But that's a massive opening matchup, especially given USC's class, including Bronny James. Uh, Have they said he's going to play? They've said he's going to play this year. I don't know if he'll play against us, though. He may still need some time, but he, they have said he will play this season. Okay. 
Well, either way, that's a massive matchup. You get her on TNT. That's a big eye. Like, whoever wins that's going to get immediate eyes on them. Yeah, uh, that's a huge way to start the season because I think November 6th is the first day that you can actually play uh, um, college basketball games. And uh, I, I'm really excited to see how we match up with them. There's a lot of talent on this USC team outside of Bronny James, uh, who, of course, is the highlight uh, for most of the coverage of the team. But there's just so many good players on that team, a lot of good defenders as well. It'll be a big early season test for us compared to last year where we didn't really face a ton of major challenges in the non-conference. Uh, we, we kind of were able to coast through some of them, but only uh, garnering one non-conference loss. So this is a completely different way to start our year. USC is going to be a really quality team, and they're almost certainly an NCAA tournament team. So uh, we're starting out hot, and we're going to have to be ready because that game is really coming up here. Yeah. Then, going through the non-con game, the only other notable one I would say, well, the Bahamar uh, Bahamas Championship up against Providence. Providence is always a consistently okay squad. <laughs> it's a good. Uh, and then we will either be facing Georgia or the U. Uh, I have my preferences. <laughs> yeah, I I think that if we were talking about ease of play, we want to play Georgia. But if you want the storyline, I want storyline. Miami is the answer there with a rematch of K State against Nigel Pack. Uh, that would be uh, pretty huge and would draw some eyeballs. And we'll finally also have a preseason tournament that isn't on a subscription service. It's on CBS Sports Network, which should be uh, most sports packages for cable or YouTube TV. So it's at least going to be viewable for a lot of K State fans compared to the past. Yeah, which. That was always a big. That was always a big part of it. Um, then, of course, we had the Big Ten Big East battle. We drew Villanova this year. That uh, Big Twelve Big East. I said, I said Big Ten, didn't I? My fault. <laughs> <laughs> the Big Twelve Big East battle, where it's Villanova, another consistently good squad. Then this is a really big like set of four games here. We go Villanova at LSU versus Nebraska, and then versus Wichita State. In the Sprint Center. I'm not calling it the other name. <laughs> yeah, that's a massive stretch right there. Villanova at home, that's huge. They've uh, won a national title recently. Uh, obviously, they uh, lost their uh, head coach, and they're coached by Kyle Neptune now. Uh, I shouldn't say they lost him. He retired. It <laughs> <laughs> sound like he died. <laughs> oh, yeah, he retired. But uh, then LSU is a rematch from last year as well uh, a game that ended in semi-controversial fashion uh the nebraska it's an old hated rival we've beaten them two years in a row hopefully we can make it three and then wichita state you never want to lose to wichita state there's that would be very embarrassing that's yeah. the extent of that <laughs> but we open up conference play versus ucf and just let's let's sort of rapid fire here through the conference slate and we'll stop whenever we come at a very notable game Versus UCF is the opener, then at West Virginia, at Texas Tech, at home versus Baylor, versus Oklahoma State, at Iowa State, of course, at Houston, of course, versus Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State, of course, we get Big Monday up against KU in Manhattan, at BYU versus TCU, at Texas, of course, uh, versus BYU versus West Virginia, at Cincinnati, at Kansas, versus Iowa State. So to me, uh, the most notable ones, wow, our road slate sucks. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot of road games I wish we had gotten at home, especially Houston. I was really hoping that we'd get them at home because that's just going to be a massive game. Because uh, Houston is, they, they've they consistently been uh, an elite program the last several years, uh, led by Kelvin Sampson. He's an incredible coach. And they're, they're adding, Houston is uh, adding a, yet another just gauntlet team to an already incredible basketball league. Uh, um, getting KU at home on Big Monday is massive. Uh, that's um, going to be a hot ticket once the uh, sales go live. Um, at Texas on Big Monday, they'll be looking for revenge for us beating them last year at home. Uh, a lot to like about them. And Iowa State at home for the last uh, uh, game of the uh, uh, regular season. Uh, they're they're going to be really good this year. They have some uh, really good freshmen coming in, uh, including uh, Omaha Bilu. He's just incredible. He's a five-star. He's going to be an issue. Uh, so Iowa State may end up being pretty good this year, uh, but we'll need to hold serve against them. But, yeah, we've we've got some pretty difficult games on the road. I don't like at Cincinnati. Yeah, well, yeah, Cincinnati, hope, we'll see how good they are, how good they aren't. Uh, it's tough to say yet because they've had some years recently where they've been pretty good. Uh, they went, recently went through tumultuous stretch, but I think they may be on the up and up. Uh, so that's definitely not a game I want to be dealing with late in the conference slate. And then finishing at KU and then home against Iowa State, two rivalry games back-to-back, uh, that'll be difficult as well. But hopefully we're able to hold serve there. We also get BYU at BYU and then home BYU in pretty quick succession. We play both those games in two weeks, so um, that'll be a, a little strange to see them uh, that close together, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a good slate for K-State. Uh this team, I think, overall is going to be really interesting. I'm hopeful that we can get on a roll early and not kind of a slog through non-conference like we did last year at times. Because there were definitely times last year in the non-conference that we, we didn't play up to the standard that we should have been playing. And I'm hopeful that we really get it together sooner um, in non-conference play. Uh, because we're going to need to be in... Uh, top form when we get to conference play. Yep. So now that we looked at the schedule, there there's really only a few questions left. Uh, we'll we'll start with the easiest one, and that is, what do you think of this roster, like top to bottom, and how it compares to last year's? I think the line that everybody's been towing, uh, including us, has been that it's a deeper team. Uh, than it was last year, but you still don't have Marquise Noel or Keontae Johnson. That, that's kind of the obvious answer, I think, is to say there's more depth, but you don't have the star power necessarily, at least uh, not yet. But it's a, it's a good roster. It's a quality roster. And I'm sure there's going to be somebody that emerges that maybe surprises us a bit or maybe that we weren't expecting as much because obviously we expect big things from Tyler Perry, Arthur Kaluma, and Naquan Tomlin. But who else is going to step up and be uh, a big-time role player? Will it be Quest Glover? Will it be Drell Colbert? Uh, will it be somebody else? Will it be one of the freshmen, like maybe Day-Day or RJ? Yeah, it, there's a lot of good options. And I agree with the line that doesn't have the top two talent, but top to bottom, you cannot look at me and say that this roster is 
even a lateral move from last year. The depth is significantly better. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, no offense to the guys on last year's roster, but quite a few of them were grabbed as scrambles. <laughs> um, which, you know, they played they played well together. They eventually came together well as a team. But I think that this roster, just top to bottom, is significantly more talented in terms of depth. Which, that sort of came to backfire against us, especially late in the year, when we sort of, I'm not going to say slept walk, but kind of stumbled a little bit towards the back end of conference play, was depth. And we couldn't find, you know, say KJ gets in foul trouble, which he did a lot during the back end of the year. You know, who, who replaced him? No one. <laughs> it didn't happen. But, you know, I, I'm really excited with this roster. And I think a big part of that excitement is the second of the two major questions, and that is, what are, what are the expectations for the team? I think the an easy expectation is you need to make the NCAA tournament again, and you need to win at least one game. I think anything less uh, is a disappointing season. Because, yeah. um, I mean, last year we were, uh, you and I at least, we were fairly confident that this was an NCAA tournament team. The general consensus was that they were a bubble team, I think, and there were maybe one or two people that really thought they'd make it to the second weekend. Like uh, Grant Flanders, I remember, was always on that train. Um, we never went that far. Uh, and then there were some people who were really Debbie Downers. Uh, but most people kind of uh, um, converged on it being a uh, bubble team that should sneak in. I don't think anybody ever expected that team last year to be number five at one point uh, or end up as a three seed in the tournament. Uh, and this year, I think we should have somewhat similar expectations. I think we should aim to be in like the two to four, maybe a five range and be easily comfortably in. Uh, I would say go undefeated in non-conference. Uh, I'd begrudgingly be okay with a loss to Miami. Like I'd get that. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be in burn it down mode over losing to Miami in a close game. But I think we should beat Villanova home. We should definitely beat LSU on the road. We should absolutely destroy Nebraska and Wichita State at home and then at Sprint Center. Uh, conference play is going to be a different animal, though. Uh, I mean, that's a tired line by this point. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of like the, the same thing as back when everybody was always like, the Big 12 doesn't play defense. They still do that. But uh, it was especially prevalent back in like the mid-20-teens uh, where it was just everybody's go-to line about the Big 12 and how uh, nobody plays defense in Big 12 football. Well, the go-to line right now with uh, Big 12 basketball is that it's deeper than any uh, conference in America. Except for that one's true. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say next. But <laughs> my fault. It's okay. <laughs> but um, this is going to be a, a really tough conference yet again. You throw Houston in the mix, and that makes it more difficult. Iowa State's going to be a much better team. Oklahoma State's probably have a chip on their shoulder like they always do. Uh, Texas Tech is under new management. We'll see how that goes. West Virginia, I'm not even going to try and guess how no. they're going to go this year because they, they are in the most unpredictable situation possible. Uh, there's, I'd, I'd say UCF and BYU probably are not primed to have fantastic seasons, but that's about it. Yeah. And otherwise, I don't think we can chalk up anything on here as a win right now. Uh, I... There, a lot of our opponents are going to be really good. A lot of our opponents, we're going to be uh, seeing 
uh, late in the year with both teams uh, with a, um, a number next to their name denoting a AP ranking. Uh, the Big 12 is probably going to send like at least seven teams to the NCAA tournament yet again, uh, probably more. And I think that this is going to be just a really stressful year. We're going to drop some games that we wish we would have had, and everyone's going to want to burn it down, and we're going to win some games that um, um, we kind of pull out of nowhere, and uh, then we're going to be so back, and everybody's <laughs> going to be really happy. But I think this is going to end up being somewhat similar to last year, where there's going to be a lot of ebbs and flows, and there's going to be times where we look like we have it together, and there's going to be times where it's just not working as well as we want it to. But ultimately, we've seen through one year, so admittedly not a ton of evidence, but through one year, we've seen K-State peak at the right times. And that's, uh, um, they peaked early in conference play to establish themselves, and they uh, peaked in the NCAA tournament, which is the perfect time to peak. So I, I think we should hope for something similar, maybe a little bit more consistency at a higher level, uh, maybe fight through some of the Big 12 slate a little better and defend home court. We should be shooting to replicate our record from last year at minimum. I think the goal, of course, should be undefeated at home. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add. I have the same expectations as you. I. This is a tournament team, and I think anything except making... Being one and done would be a disappointment. Not being anywhere above the like five line would be a massive disappointment. And I have belief in this team and Jerome Tang that they can do it. Yep. It's incredible how much expectations can change after one year. But I think this team has earned our confidence. Uh, I know there's been a lot of rumblings about, you know, like uh, what the team is going to be like and who's going to be playing and who isn't. I think anyone listed on the roster is going to be playing probably. And I think that uh, this team, even if they do experience some growing pains here and there, I think they're going to be a really fun team to watch. Uh, um, precedent uh, being that some guys take the steps. Cam Carter needs to take a step this year and improve his three-point shooting by just a couple percent, and I think that will help. Naquan Tomlin needs to add a couple points per game and stay out of foul trouble. We need Tyler Perry to shoot at least the same uh, percentage he did at North Texas at a higher uh, rate. We need Arthur Kaluma to take a big step uh, in his junior season. We need, I think one of the freshmen needs to take uh, a, a role in this team, at least one. Uh, Quest Glover has to be Energizer Bunny off the bench. David Gasson has to continue to be like the most efficient player on the team somehow. <laughs> and, and accidentally hit a three in the tournament and then pretend like he did it on purpose. That's exactly what I want from David Gasson is make wide open layups and accidentally make a few threes. <laughs> that I can't ask for anything more, really. But, I mean, there's a lot of guys on this team that are going to have to come together and do some big things. We're going to need Will, like Will McNair, who's I think a lot of people don't even know about Will McNair. He transferred in kind of at the last moment just about like a month and a half ago. We need Will McNair. We're going to need him at some point to defend uh, a big post player, I bet, that we're going to struggle to defend otherwise. And so Will McNair is going to have his moments as well, even guys like him. So there, there's a lot writing on the depth of this team but this is a deeper team yeah all right so that's the men's basketball team and now here's the thing that i haven't shut up about about six months and that's the women's basketball team 
And I'm just going to say it straight up. Cards on the table, this is a team that has, if it was based purely off of talent, has no reason to make it, to not make it to like a Final Four in Elite Eight. If it was strictly based off of talent, that is how good this roster is. All right, with those cards on the table, let's talk about the roster. And I feel like the person that everyone's going to want to talk about first is, of course, the triumphant return of the NCAA single-game scoring record holder, Ioka Lee, number 50. Uh, technically, with the new rules, she could have changed her number to 61. I guess she's humble and didn't want to do that. But <laughs> she seems very humble. She seems very nice. But <laughs> Ioka Lee is back. And I think she is probably the most important of what I have started calling the big three. Um, she's certainly the largest of them. <laughs> but just having her back, I think you'll notice an immediate difference between last year's team and this year's team just by virtue of her being back. Yeah. Um, Aoka Lee was definitely sorely missed uh, last year, even though we did have at times a pretty quality team, but there were some pretty significant struggles at times as well. And it was very clear that we weren't really sure what to do at points without Aoka Lee, just because of the just automatic offense that she is. We badly need Aoka Lee back, and now we have her and we are able to pair her with um, additional talent that we've accrued. This is a massive, massive opportunity for K-State women's basketball to really make a mark, to make a run at a Big 12 title, and to make an NCAA tournament run. There's just so much talent on this team that this is the year that we need to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of leads us, you mentioned additional talent, that kind of leads us to the, the second of the Big 3, and the fact that we're calling what I believe was in conversations for All-American, if not an All-American last year, the second, sure to tell us what we're dealing with here. And that's number 12, Gabby Gregory, who was sort of just pigeonholed into being a post player last year, who also happened to be able to shoot. And she was the most efficient shooter on the team while she was also basically playing one of two of the primary post players, which... You know, you take those, but Gabby Gregory is another massive, just a massive cog in this this machine that is this roster. Yeah, and I think the fact that she was having to go from playing a guard to at times having to just kind of drive into the post and play back the basket a little bit was just an indictment of uh, the lack of um, big talent. Uh, and around the basket that we had last year. She wasn't really a post player, per se. She was just doing everything. Yeah. Uh, I, I, she, of course, is listed as a guard. That should be what she is. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you get desperate, and you have Gabby Gregory <laughs> backing someone down to try and get a layup. And she wasn't bad at it. No, she wasn't, which was even more disappointing. <laughs> as she, she's going to be huge this year. We need her to continue to be an effective shooter, uh, she shot around 33% last year. She can up that just a little bit. Uh, I think we're going to be pretty happy. And uh, she averaged uh, somewhere around 18 a game. And we um, don't have to have her do that because Aoka Lee is going to be back. But if she can get even close to that, that's going to be massive. And I, I'm really excited to see um, any sort of step that Gabby Gregory's taken, see if she's added anything to her game. Uh, but... Um, yeah, having her back and this time 
uh, as a running mate to Aoka Lee uh, rather than the the lone star uh, for the most part. That that'll be big. That'll be big to have Gabby Gregory um, be able to be part of a multifaceted offense. Yeah. And then I think the the third of the big three would be Serena Sundell, who I think I said last year was one of the best distributors in K-State women's basketball history. I'm standing by it. I think she's second in assists. But even then, she's developed a more complete skill set as well. She's sort of a do-everything guard now. She's not just, oh, assist, assist. No, she's a scoring threat as well. She she was in the same boat as Gabby last year, where sometimes she had to back people down, and she wasn't bad at it. And she also developed a lot more of a consistent shooting game outside as well. And if there's one thing that you can say about Serena Sundell, is she is tough. Because for no reason, she always catches some sort of mid-game injury and is back within two minutes. Yeah, it seems like she always ends up being a target somehow. I'm not sure why it's always Serena Sundell. Maybe she's always saying stuff during the game or something. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, yeah, she uh, always seems to find herself uh, getting run into uh, kind of away from the play or uh, getting a hard foul and then she always finds her way back into the game and then uh, kind of takes it personally and plays even better. Uh, but Serena Sundell, she is a really quality player. She's now going to be in her third year, so she's got a ton of experience now. She's been a two-year starter. There's a lot to like about Serena Sundell. And I think her taking another step and uh, kind of uh, getting back to how she was as a shooter earlier in her career, because she was very up and down last year, uh, it, which I think this year should take some stress off of her, uh, given that Aoka Lee and Gabby Gregory are going to be back. Uh, we need Serena Sundell to be our third scoring option and be our main distributor. And I think that's what her role should have been last year, but this year she's going to get that. Uh, but now with another year of experience under her belt, uh, she may be able to do even more as well. Uh, and she's a solid rebounder as well. She's very tall for a guard, especially a point guard. She's six foot one. Uh, she's um, by trade a shooting guard, uh, but it's just been playing the point since she got here. So Serena Sundell, we need a big year from her. She needs to be averaging probably around 14 to 15 a game, I would say, uh, if we really want these big three to be a true big three um, and be like the main focal points, uh, that that's kind of what we need from Serena Sundell. But if not, we can have her take a little bit more of an offensive backseat, get to the 10 to 12 range and, uh, focus on getting assists and running an offense. Uh, but that's just going to kind of come down to Jeff Mitty when he wants. Um, but I'm very excited to see the next step Serena Sundell takes because she's taken noticeable leaps each year. Yeah. So that's the big three, but we're not even done because there are a lot of returning pieces from last year that are really important. You know, you get Jalen Glenn, who led the Big 12 in steals and yet was not on the all-Big 12 defensive team. Yeah, that was a travesty. That I, is a tra- Yeah, I, I still don't understand why uh, she didn't make it onto the all-Big 12 defensive team, but hopefully she wears that as a chip on her shoulder. Because she she was absolutely incredible last year, especially in conference play, getting steals, uh, and she um, just does so much defensively along with uh, uh, her twin Bradley Glenn. Uh, they're both uh, really good defenders and uh, at times really good three point shooters as well. Uh, it just kind of depends, but they 
both uh, are really quality on the defensive end. Jeff Mitty loves uh, his uh, guards with long arms. He because uh, of how much he's running zone, which we have thoughts, but uh, he and they are good uh, to run at the forefront of that zone uh, with, with um, how long their arms are and the way they can clock passing lanes. That's one of the reasons Jalen Glenn is so good at what she does. Yeah. And you mentioned her twin sister, but I think that, well, we'll, we'll cover Gisela Sanchez in a different segment here, but the other returning option, I think has pretty quickly become you and I's favorite player on the team, or at least the one we're most excited about. And that's Eliza Maupin, who I am not sure if you've ever made this statement, but I've just called multiple times the female Naquan Tomlin because she's just a monster athlete who should not be able to move the way she does. She shouldn't be. She should not have the skill set that she has, because she's just more athletic than everyone on the court all at once. Yeah, she uh, is definitely a different player uh, for K State. We're not used to having someone like Eliza Maupin, uh, or I, I think we've kind of gotten used to having more rigid players, uh, especially in the post. But Eliza Maupin is the complete opposite of that. She's a pure athlete, uh, just incredible, incredible. Uh, stuff that she's able to do we throw lobs to her occasionally and she's able to just reach above everyone she's a a really good rebounder and she had moments of greatness last year she had flashes last year where she showed her potential uh, but just uh, had difficulty struggling or adjusting to uh, uh, division one basketball uh, she definitely was foul prone at times she kind of started to figure it out later in the year though because she's just so physical (laughs) Yeah, so there's a lot to like about Eliza Maupin. Uh, I'm hoping that she takes a step and truly becomes a very reliable role player that occasionally is going to come in and just kind of dominate a game for a little while. Yeah. So that's most of the people returning last year. I do want to give quick mention to Heavenly Greer. She was a pretty good you know, depth piece last year. But I think the, the person I want to talk to is technically or talk about was on the roster last year but was injured, and that is forward Gisela Sanchez, who's the transfer from Arizona. The main reason why I think she's so fascinating is because this team's weakness last year was shooting threes. She shot 40% in Spanish FIBA. <laughs> Seems good. Yes, uh, we have been lacking shooting, uh, to put it lightly, the last several years. Uh, for K-State women's basketball. Uh, the last couple years, we've just been at times completely inept shooting from three. Uh, a couple years ago, it was really bad. It was a little bit better last year with Gabby Gregory, but that wasn't saying much. We desperately need to get to a point where we're much more consistent uh, shooting from three because if we were able to cash in on 50% of the wide-open threes uh, that we... Um, did not convert on then last year's a completely different season uh we really 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 need uh to convert on the easy ones from long range which we just haven't been able to do consistently uh as of late for k-state uh but gisela sanchez could be a big part uh of changing that uh she um of course had she missed all last year like ace said and uh then went and was really really good this summer uh, in uh, international play for Spain. So hopefully he's able to translate that to playing really well at the college level this year. Um, 
we definitely need an outside shooting presence that isn't just Gabby Gregory. That is pretty consistent. And she could be that piece that we've been waiting for. Yep. Then, of course, you have the, I would say, the the big pair of transfers, which is Zayana Walker, both of them from Louisville. Uh, Zayana Walker and then Amani Lester, both of those coming in are going to be probably contributory pieces. But I, you know, let me, let's preface this by saying that women's basketball recruiting is criminally undercovered and almost impossible to actually learn things about. I say this because we have known about Terran sides for two years. And that is the one of the true freshmen coming into this class. The fact that we've known about her for two years, given how criminally undercovered basketball recruiting is on the women's side of things, tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she um, should be in a position to really make an instant impact as a true freshman. She kind of has a role that we don't have so much right now, which is a smaller, true point guard. She's a one through and through. And we are really going to need somebody to come in and sometimes let Serena Sundell and Gabby Gregory both play off ball. Uh, So if we want to go to a high shooting lineup uh, or just get a natural distributor in at the one, Taryn Sides is probably the person. Um, Had a great high school career uh, in Phillipsburg, Kansas. And uh, we really need her to be ready to contribute early and often. Because we're, we're kind of just one piece away right now from having everything click. And Taryn Sides could be that piece. Yeah. So basically, here's, here's what I think of the roster. There is a way to configure this roster that fits any play style that you really want. You want a high shooting roster? You have a lineup for that. You want a really good defensive roster? You have a lineup for that. You want a physical post roster? <laughs> you have a lineup for that. You have a lineup for nearly every single play style that you would want, and you wouldn't even need to change like more than two pieces at a time. That is the sign of a ridiculously talented roster. Yeah, there's so much to like uh, with this team this year. There's talent at every position. Uh, there's potential at every position. This is going to be our best shot to really make any sort of run, I think. We need to take advantage of this opportunity that we have to uh, really have a memorable season that will go down in K-State women's basketball history as one of the best um, that they've ever had. And it's ultimately going to come down to execution because all the talent is there. Everything is there. Uh, all the pieces are on the board, but it's just going to come down to how we use them. And if we can use them effectively, then we could be in for a really fun season. Yeah. And I think that's that's the best way to describe it. Is it at very least, will be fun. <laughs> but now, getting into the schedule, the first official game is Presbyterian. But the first really big game, you actually have two back-to-back. And it's the rematch up against Iowa and Caitlin Clark. That will be televised on FS1. Uh, as of right now, the comically sized FS1 logo on the K-State women's basketball schedule. Then you head straight from that game into playing Wisconsin. Those are barometer games. <laughs> yeah, Wisconsin is a team that we beat last year. I think we need to expect to do the same. Um, at Iowa, that's also a team that we beat last year. 
I'm not sure if we can expect to do the same. I, I kind of agree. Iowa spent last year uh, having an incredible season. We beat them early in the year uh, without Aoka Lee. So that is one thing that maybe plays into our favors. We will have Aoka Lee this time. But Iowa's going to be on a revenge tour this year. They got boat race in the, in the national title against LSU. And they're going to want to prove themselves. They're going to want to win a national title and that's going to start with beating us. Uh, they, that's going to be an early test for them, an early way to, for them to prove themselves in the same way that it is uh, for us too. But it's going to be a uh, difficult match, uh, especially on the road now. Uh, we're going to need a lot of luck and uh, a lot of things aligning our way. Um, and we're going to also figure out a ton about this team from that two-game stretch against Iowa and Wisconsin. Yeah. Then going through the rest of the non-con course, we get Missouri in St. Joseph, which hasn't been announced as any sort of, you know, televised spot. I imagine it'll be on something. But we open our conference slate at Cincinnati, then play Houston, UCF, Oklahoma, Texas, at TCU versus KU, at Baylor on FS1. Actually, let me rewind here. Oklahoma and Texas games are both home and on ESPNU. And then at Baylor, FS1, and then at uh, versus BYU, at Oklahoma, at Texas, FS1, uh, versus Oklahoma State, at Iowa State, versus UCF, versus West Virginia, at KU, at ESPN2, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. So we do get the home-and-home with Texas this year, so yay us, but we also get the tough matchup of at Baylor, uh, I think we face every single school that was ranked ahead of us in the Big 12 preseason poll at least once because it was Texas, Baylor, and KU all finished in front of us. So we played Texas twice, Baylor once, and then KU twice. But all in all, this is not as difficult a conference slate as it could have been. Houston was not very good last year. Yeah, we beat them, actually. Yeah, we beat them very badly. Yes. <laughs> Uh, since he wasn't great last year, TCU, I'm still upset. I don't want to talk about it. BYU is up and down. Oklahoma, up and down, but consistently at least solid, especially in Norman. Um, yeah, it, this is a surprisingly favorable slate, at least I would say in conference, which is building up my expectations again. <laughs> yeah, we should be able to have a really good conference season this year. Uh, I, I think that we need to be finishing probably top three. Um, I would say anything worse than top five I think is a major disappointment. And I, I think that we really need to take advantage of getting Oklahoma at home, getting Texas at home, uh, and getting KU both home and away. Uh, we're going to need to – there's going to be some really good teams on here that we're just going to have to beat twice uh, because I think we should be making a run for a Big 12 title this year. And I think that should be our goal. Uh, but it's it's not going to be it's it's easy to have a solid conference year against this type of schedule. But it's whatever schedule you have, it's always it's always very very difficult to make a conference title run, uh, just because of how consistent you have to be week in week out, game in game out. And there's going to be some games on here that we absolutely should win and have no business losing. Uh, and there's going to be some games on here that are just going to be really difficult, like Texas on the road. Uh, Baylor on the road is going to be really tough. Uh, but these are still winnable games. Uh, we have a lot of games on here that we should 
be able to take care of business. It remains to be seen if we will. And I still do have high expectations for this season. I think we need to be winning probably 25-26 games in the regular season. And we should be making the NCAA tournament, and we need to get out of the first weekend for the first time in forever. Because uh, that's just kind of been a hump we've not been able to get over in uh, uh, women's basketball for K-State. And uh, to do that, we need to win games and not get on the 8-9 line again. Because uh, that's kind of been a curse. teams go to die. Yeah, it's been a curse for Jeff Mitty as he ends up on the 8-9 line a lot. We need to be shooting for like a 4 or 5 and probably better. Uh, that should be our goal. Yeah. So I'm just going to say, like I said, cards on the table. This is anything less than a second weekend appearance would be not only a disappointment, I think it would be a failure. And I know that sounds very harsh and very strange, uh, especially given our previous issues with getting past the first weekend. I said it before. I will continue to say it, and I will say it in the season as well. If it was purely based off of talent, the talent on this roster, there's no reason why that shouldn't happen. And there's no universe in which that should happen. It's all going to come down to ability to stay consistent and coaching. Which, you know, you, you have to have hope for. You truly have to have hope for with the talent on this roster. But that's my expectation is anything anything that doesn't involve us making it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, I think is a massive letdown. Yeah, I could maybe live with that if we win the conference. Um, but I still think that we do need to make it past that first weekend. Because if we're not going to do it this year, we're, we might never do it yeah. in the, for all of eternity. <laughs> like, this is our best chance, at least our best chance that I've seen in a while in my lifetime. Because K-State women's basketball has been kind of up and down and had a lot of mediocrity in my lifetime. I, but there's kind of been a, a curse, it seems like. We've not been able to really get very far, even with really talented teams. Back in the early 2000s, we had some incredible teams. We won the Big 12, but we didn't really do anything in the NCAA tournament. And we need to reverse our fortunes pretty badly. or We're going to be continually stuck in a pattern of mediocrity for a while, which... Is just disappointing. And I this year, this team's super talented. Ticket sales are up for women's basketball. We need to make a push. And we need to see some success with the talented roster. Or There's going to be a time in the future where a change needs to be made. And I would prefer that not happen. Because <laughs> I uh, happen to like this team. I happen to like the staff. I, I think there's a lot to like about what's going on with K-State women's basketball, but we need to see results at uh, one point or another. And this should be a great year on paper, but it, it needs we need to watch it happen first. Yeah, and we, I don't want to count the eggs before they hatch. Yeah, I think that would be a mistake. But the last piece of advice I'll give people is if you're going to hop on the roller coaster, hop on it now. I'm not saying that because I'll get upset if people start disingenuously covering this team when they're good. That will happen, but that's not why I'm saying it. <laughs> but I, I think that this will be a very exciting team no matter what, just by virtue of what this roster is top to bottom. So if you're going to start paying attention, start paying attention early and support this team with all you got because well and truly, 
this is not a roster that you get very often. You don't talent like this doesn't come walking in to Manhattan, Kansas every day, regardless of sport. And especially in women's basketball, there's only like three schools where this talent can exist consistently. So when you get it, you have to enjoy it. And that's my advice is hop on this train early and have some fun. I don't have anything to add if you're waiting for me. <laughs> but, yeah, I uh, no wacky segment this week, just since it's already a pretty long episode. So thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville ACATS. If you want to email us, we're aggievillealleycats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us more personally, I'm at acedward00. I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store. Link in the podcast and Twitter bios. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.